All right, welcome back to Classroom Chats with Crystal, a podcast for new educators seeking to define their teacher identity, oftentimes through trial and error. Well, it's interview season, uh, it's graduation season, and the focus of today's show will be on interviewing, um, landing that job that you want, or at least the job that you think that you want. So if you're a recent graduate, congratulations. Um, I know that you have worked very hard and at this point you you may be a bit nervous because now all you have to do is get a job. You graduated and now it's real. Um, I know in this season it, it probably looks a little different because the majority of you either attended virtual graduations or graduation has been postponed um, altogether. But nevertheless, you're now in the market um, for a job and you want to be a teacher. So. Um, as you already know, you completed your internship if you are a education major. Um, if you're not an education major, you will apply to the state or you're about to apply to your state so that you can get your particular license and you're seeking a job. So let's just start there. If for some reason you haven't already applied to the state and got your teaching license, interviewing for a job is going to be quite interesting. Oftentimes, um, employers, principals, assistant principals, um, who, who are going to be interviewing you, um, it's quite a disappointment to interview someone you want to hire and then you find out that they don't actually have their certification. So what you will find is that uh, if it's not listed on your resume or if you don't have a copy of it, um, you may not even get an interview. But if you do get the interview, please note that it is disappointing to find out that um, the person that's sitting across the table from you doesn't have a certification. So that's going to be one of the first things that you're going to do is make sure that you've applied to the state. You might have a letter of eligibility um, because you've never taught before, but that's what we want to see and that's what we want to hear. Um, in some counties, they do have major teacher job fairs around this time of the year because the school year is coming to a close and we're looking to staff for next year. With that in mind, oftentimes those particular job fairs or whether they're virtual or in person depending on you know our current climate uh, they're going to look for your certification okay they often oftentimes they don't even allow people without a certification to walk in the doors so you want to make sure that you have that squared away right away all right now that we have that out of the way um let's talk about applying for jobs um you really are going to have to do your due diligence here um although as we see on the news and hear all around us, um, there is a teacher shortage, um, but you are still gonna have to do your due diligence because although there's a teacher shortage, um, when principals and assistant principals interview uh, potential candidates, um, we don't hire people just because we have a shortage. So we are still looking for um, candidates of quality for the most part. So with that in mind, you're gonna wanna make sure that you show up at the interview prepared. Um, we're looking for specifics and when you're a new teacher, there oftentimes, oftentimes I'm gonna get into what we look for and what, one of, what some of our greatest concerns are, um, but you wanna make sure that you are prepared. So how do you prepare? First off, my recommendation is that you need to go back to your internship and take a look at that feedback. Um, having been a supervising uh, teacher, even in the role of, of assistant principal, um, I was able to observe the, the intern um, several times, as a matter of fact. And at every occasion, I was giving her feedback because in those instances, we are able to kind of pinpoint and identify your growth areas. 
and we give specific feedback to help you grow in those areas. Just because your internship is over doesn't mean that your growth areas have, you know, magically disappeared. Focus on the feedback that was given and start to do a little research. Okay, research can be in the form of um, how the the lessons that followed that feedback came um, from various teachers sites, maybe even from your education books and um, education tasks. Just go back and just kind of dive into those things because you didn't sit in those classes and get all that information just to shelve it um, and just to shelve it and to not use it again. Um, it's there for a reason. So go ahead and uh, pick those books up, pick that feedback up and really just dive into your growth areas and, and, and also your strengths because you want to be able to talk up those strengths. You're going to be honest about your, your growth areas, but you're, you're going to want to make sure that you talk up your strengths because when we're interviewing someone and, and you're very self-aware of what you're good at and we can see what you're going to bring to the school or to the team, we know that that's a starting point for us. So you want to know and be familiar with both of those areas. Um, in addition to taking a look at that intern feedback, one avenue for doing research would be, you know, go ahead and join edu educator forums. There are educator Facebook pages. Um, I'm pretty sure that there are other educator uh, forums on different social media platforms. But on Facebook alone, there are so many that you can just go ahead and jump into. There are thousands of thousands of thousands of educators on these forums and you nowadays are at an advantage where you can just throw a question out there and we decide whether or not we're going to, you know, answer. Sometimes we reach back, you know, like to pay it forward and we understand and remember what it's like to be interviewing for a job because no one ever really likes that process and to become a new teacher and all of the anxiety that is uh, that surrounds that. So make sure you jump into some of those forums. Another recommendation is really would be to talk to your supervising teacher, um, especially if you're having a difficult time pinpointing what your strengths as well as your growth areas are. Hopefully during the feedback, you're able during the feedback during your internship, uh, he or she was able to give you a little insight on that. But it might be a good idea to just have a conversation with them and say, hey, Mr. Miss So-and-so, um, I am applying for jobs and I really do since you watched me um, teaching in the classroom with students, um, with planning, um, all things education. Can you please give me some guidance as to where um, I should start or if you need to know what your strengths are, um, what they saw in you? Because sometimes um, we're able to see strengths in our interns or, you know, developing professionals and you haven't yet uh, discovered those strengths. So it might be worth the conversation. Another thing that you're going to want to do um, in this interview is really just be specific. A lot of times new teachers walk into the interview and I know you're nervous, okay, and that's not going to change. The people that are interviewing you know that you're nervous. Uh, it's expected. We, we look over all of those things. However, you want to make sure that you're being specific. Sometimes when you get a little nervous, you forget what to say. Uh, you don't remember all of the things that you were engaged in. So one thing that you that you can do that would help you with this is to when you start applying and especially when you start getting an interview or if you're going to attend a job fair, um, just go ahead and write down um, all of the experiences that you had during your internship. Write them down. If you worked in small group with students based off of uh, the data that the teacher collected, right, then that's something you're going to want to speak to. If you were able to plan 
if you're able to plan a, a lesson for students where they were collaborating, having possible, you know, student accountable talk on whatever the specifics were of that assign those assignments and tasks that you actually owned and took into and, and took a uh, lead on, you're going to want to make sure that you speak to them because that is experience. We want to know that you that you have some experience in this in this area and that you see how it translates into the classroom because what you will find is that it, that is that it is very different um to be the teacher in the room versus you know the second teacher um so you're going to want to lean on those experiences because they were there for a reason okay um you learn how to deliver how to monitor whether or not students are assessed whether or not students understand what you're teaching um you learn how to develop assessments and to uh, be a member of a professional learning community so that you can speak to those things and so that you can implement them when you actually walk into the classroom so my recommendation to you is to make a list of all of the significant experiences that you've had in the classroom so that you will be able, number one, to remember them. They should be at the forefront. If you've made a list, it could be a bulleted list. Um, if you want, you can actually uh, do more than bulleted and kind of paragraph it so that it's kind of etched into your mind um, so that it's at the forefront. Sometimes we do a lot of things that we don't even uh, remember doing because we just do them. Okay, maybe you had an amazing supervising teacher um, where you soaked up so much, so much information um, just by being in his or her presence. And it might be something that you don't remember until you start to actually jot down um, everything that occurred during your internship. So go ahead and make a bulleted list. It is not frowned upon to have a uh, list of experiences um, in like maybe a portfolio that you carry into the interview, just as a sheet so that when you're having the conversation, you can have your portfolio open um, with a bulleted list of things that you want to make sure that you highlight and bring up about you, about you and your experiences in the classroom, even with no experience. Um, that speaks to a certain level of awareness and you know competency and even a uh, mindset where you are already an educator versus someone who is uh quote becoming an educator um and so bring that bulleted list in if you think that for some reason when you get nervous you you know your frontal lobe shut down you forget things then have that bulleted list this is not to say though that you are to read verbatim from the bulleted list or as i was in an interview one time we had a, a a candidate just hand us a sheet of paper and as we asked questions he's like it's on the paper um so essentially he just told us to read his paper that he wrote and of course we we didn't call him back and that interview was uh short-lived so it's something you're going to want to you know internalize but at the same time if you know you're going to be so flustered that you um, we'll forget forget things just go ahead and put it in your printed out put it in your portfolio make it big enough for you to glance down and read at it um read it so that you'll be able to answer the questions with uh without having so much regret you don't want to get back to the car and be like oh my god i forgot to mention okay so that's a, a major tip that a lot of people don't um actually take advantage of uh you're gonna be nervous uh just be your nervous self okay you're going to be nervous. We expect you to be nervous. Some people, they, you know, do different things. Um, and we see a lot of fidgeting. Oftentimes, since we know you're going to be nervous, um, we overlook those things. But just understand that we know that you're going to be nervous. And don't let that 
um, discourage you in the process because sometimes people get nervous they start to fumble and then they want to really shut down in the middle of the interview where they're like oh no I'm not getting this job I, I just studied through the last three questions um, we're looking for for quality and content right and we understand that you're nervous uh, you're hoping that you get an offer from the other side of the table and quite frankly, as an interviewer, um, we're hoping to get you know quality responses so that we can have a quality uh, hire for the most part. Um, be honest. You are not expected to be an expert. You are expected to be a new teacher, okay? You are not expected to be an expert. There's a saying that goes around that just, uh, so inaccurate in my mind um it's not anything that i really uh believe in but it says fake it until you make it ah that's a little uncomfortable it's nerve-wracking um just to pretend to know something that you don't um i ask a lot of questions and i know i get teased about it sometimes in meetings but i ask questions but <laughs> i ask questions so that i can get answers and once i have answers um, then I'm able to not only be competent in whatever it is that I'm doing, but I'm also able to help others around me. If there's something that comes up that you uh, are just unfamiliar with, just go ahead and do your best to um, answer it to the best of your ability. But don't shy away from, you know, really explaining that you're looking to grow and develop in those areas um, because you understand that it'll help you um, grow and develop as a professional. Uh, and you could talk about the different ways that it can help you grow. Um, just to give an outlook that you have a growth mindset and that you're going to be coachable because that is also something that we look for um, in new teachers. We're not, we're not interested in new teachers who think that um, they know everything under the sun. We all know, uh, we all know that as a new teacher, it's gonna take some time. Teaching is an art. Yes, you went to school, you learned the science. Um, maybe you got to dabble a little bit in the arts and during your internship, but quite frankly, it's an art. And in order to uh, develop your art, it takes time. It's not gonna be anything that you're gonna blink your eye and hey, it's done. No, everyone knows that um, you don't start feeling the ground beneath your feet as a new teacher until about three years. And then at five years, you're like, hey, I think I might have this thing. I'm not saying that you don't grow during those three to five years, but it's expected that there will be um, growth, consistent growth in progress. So when you're in the room, don't fake it till you make it. Be honest about the areas that you would like to grow in um, so that we know that you're coachable and know that you're realistic. Um, because what you don't want to do is paint a picture that you are a know-it-all who cannot be coached and you think that you've arrived even though you've never held a teaching position to potential questions um, that may occur during the interview. Um, of course, I won't give you uh, the whole list of questions that we ask, but I'm gonna give you questions that um, should be no-brainers, but oftentimes when new teachers walk into the interview, they haven't uh, really thought about the answer to those questions. Um, so let me give you a little bit of advice and a little bit of feedback. The number one concern that we have um, when we sit across the table from a, from a potential teacher is how are they going to really serve our students and make a significant impact um, in their lives in regard to learning and development. So there, there's no way that you can successfully influence student achievement if 
you do not have classroom management. The entire time <laughs> we are interviewing you, we are asking ourselves if you'll be able to make it in the classroom. And by make it, we mean have a solid classroom management plan that will allow you to even teach. Because if the classroom is chaotic, if children are not listening, um, if you really have no classroom presence, it doesn't matter how much you know about biology or language arts because you'll never be able to teach it to children. So when you go into the interview, you need to have a very uh, firm grip on what you believe your classroom management uh, plan is gonna be. Of course I say what you believe because in real life, when you walk into the classroom, we know that you have 125 plus uh, different students. We put them together in, in, in different ways. So the dynamics of each class is very different. So it may, it's, it's like a living management plan because it will grow and develop um, based off the students that are before you. But you need to have some idea of how you're gonna address behaviors that, that occur in the classroom. Um, it's 2020 and we do not have cookie cutter classrooms. It doesn't look like the Leave it to Beaver classroom. Uh, it's a real place. Neither, for the most part, does it look like dangerous minds. But if you don't have a classroom, if you don't have a classroom management plan in place, then it is very difficult for you to, uh, to get anything done. So one of the questions we ask is, what's your classroom management uh, plan gonna look like? How will you address uh, unwanted behaviors? And we're looking for something other than, well, I'm gonna call administration. <laughs> no ma'am, no sir. Uh, we do understand that at some point administration uh, will need to be called because you've exhausted everything in your behavior management plan, but it should never start there. We have some candidates that come in and what they say is, oh, um, I'll tell the student to stop and then I'll call administration. We're not doing that um, because that says that you're so willing to give away your authority in the classroom without much effort or energy. So you're gonna to want to have a defined classroom management plan. How are you gonna introduce routines and procedures to students? Uh, you need to be very well aware that um, we have to teach routines and procedures. If we teach routines and procedures, um, go over expectation, model expectation, model routines, model procedures, have students follow that model uh, repeatedly, then it is very difficult for you to have routines and procedures in place that will curb unwanted behaviors. So that's the first thing that you're, want, you're gonna want to look into as well as to mention. Um, secondly, every educator knows that you must have a relationship with kids. So in your classroom management plan, of course, uh, one thing that they mention is involving students in the development of your classroom rules and expectation. Somewhat like rules of engagement, um, are a family agreement uh, as to what behaviors lend themselves to a classroom that uh, everyone can feel safe in and learn in versus the behaviors that do not. And most importantly, uh, what, what will be the outcome if those particular rules of engagement um, are broken? And you need to have potential, um, you need to have potential responses that you can speak to. One bit of advice when it comes to a classroom management plan um, is that there's a resource called Intervention Central. You know, not many educators I know ever reference it, but it is one of my favorites. Um, and the reason that it is one of my favorites 
is because it speaks to it speaks to various types of interventions um, from behavior management to academics um, to even social so it's a place that you want to go and spend a little time in because they talk about behavior contracts they talk about potential uh, consequences how to engage students with positive reinforcements um, just, just a just a wealth of information that you could use and be able to speak to that doesn't mean you're going to go in and you're going to surface you know speak to everything on the website choose a couple of uh choose a couple of bits of information that you really do not faking it for the interview but you really do believe that will work in your classroom that you feel will suit your teaching style your personality the way that you envision your classroom to run um, and just really look into those strategies a little more and be ready to talk about how that would play a role in your classroom management plan. Classroom management is big, big, big. If you speak to your content, then we're happy about that. But if we think that you cannot handle discipline in the classroom, then um, we'll be a little leery to offer you the job. The second thing that um, you're going to want to uh, be able to speak to is what would a lesson look like in your classroom from beginning to end we want to know what your opening activities are going to be we want to know what your closing activities are going to be we want to know what the core of your lesson is going to look like how are you going to facilitate uh, the lesson itself uh, so what you don't want to do is to say oh well kids are coming in they'll be quiet and they'll get started on bell work number one let's get real Okay, the reason we have opening activities or bell work tasks is really so that kids can refocus after um, transition time because uh, we understand that it takes about six minutes or so for kids to come back to us to be able to settle and be in the right frame of mind for us to move forward. So one thing you're going to want to really know is that we're looking for specifics. When we ask these questions, we are looking for specifics. So if there's something that you know you start with, your opening activity always introduces or previews the lesson that is to come, or it reviews the lesson from the day before, you may speak to that. Then maybe, for instance, you start with every day a political cartoon and kids are to annotate that political cartoon. Um, and in addition to that, once they're finished with that activity, they may move into think pair share where they are talking to their neighbor. You are selecting a couple of individuals to share outs. Then you review the learning goals for that particular class session and talk about really the purpose of that lesson and how it connects to the lesson from the previous day. At which point you move into the strategies that you use to introduce new content. Um, if it's not new content, how do you revisit what was taught before and how do you ease or transition students into practicing uh, the new practicing and applying the new information that you gave it's strategy 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 and the big question is how are you going to know what are you going to do in your classroom not after okay while kids are learning to know that they are meeting the target how do you as we say quote monitor close quote that students are understanding. Um, when I was in school, I think the teachers called it check for understanding, all right? Um, we would complete something, the teachers would look at it when we leave. We're not doing that. Um, as educators, it is expected that we are assessing student progress 
in the learning process not after it has already occurred uh, it's a lot it's a it's a lot easier for you and you would think this would be a no-brainer to correct students in the process versus waiting until they've done something incorrect for the entire day or the entire class period and then that particular error has been you know fortified and the next day you have to come and undo all of that um, through uh, reteaching so monitoring kids throughout the learning process is major how do you do that right you're visiting student groups you're listening to discussions you're reading student answers as they're working through independent practice and you're posing questions to students you're giving them feedback and that allows them to really articulate what has been taught or what they're learning or even to help them revise what um, they have on that paper or what they're saying in that classroom discussion in addition to that um, just circulating and listening to students and reading papers are you working with children in small groups so you notice that you have a few students who may have been struggling with the concept during the opening activity and when you release for independent practice you are working with those three or four students for a few minutes together giving starting to starting to work with them so that you can uh, help them begin the process then you're jumping to different student clusters or different students to monitor those students as well while you uh, while those students are working independently on what you started them with so really what does your teaching look like okay what is your flow all right it should be so that i remember as i uh taught uh the adults for this part um i conducted professional development for about 130 teachers uh every week in some capacity and i remember one session one of the teachers she was already on this digital tool that i use which was uh socrative at the time and I said, how do you know we're going to go to Socrative? <laughs> and she said, because you always go to Socrative at the end because there's an exit ticket where you take our responses about the learning and access to apply it. And I laughed and I said, wow, okay, I, I see. So what I realized is that um, I'm pretty consistent. I had a strategy for most things. So uh, just even working with adults and teaching adults, it was very important for me to have a flow. A flow helped me as the educator and it really helps the students understand the purpose of the lesson and where we're headed in that lesson. So even still with that particular flow, I would always start with a short engaging clip where, where I was then ease into the learning goal and task um, with a thoughtful question. Um, then I was ease into an activity that led us to the core of the content. Then we would have, uh, I would deliver what I would call like lecture bites, <laughs> lecture bites um, from different resources gathered. Then there would be independent practice and then there would be the sharing of that learning before we move to the exit ticket so that I can reevaluate um, individually. So everyone, and while, and another thing that I like to mention is that, and then while everyone was working, um, I had a system for how I rotated around the room in order to listen to the, the, the groups so that I could read particular uh, responses so that I can tap into different discussions, especially when I know that certain people don't share out loud. It also gave an opportunity for me to go ahead and um, select people to respond because I know 
uh, by telling them in advance, they'll be a little bit more likely to share with the group versus not sharing at all. So you need to understand uh, what your flow is going to be like. Potential lesson uh, flow and design. Okay, what will your lesson look like from beginning to end? Um, one thing that you most likely probably spent a little time uh, working with in your internship is data. Data, data, data. In education, we are data driven. Um, teaching is an art, but there is also a science to this. And it, it is difficult for you to help students by throwing everything out and hoping that it sticks. That is difficult and it is not effective. With that in mind, the decisions that you make in your classroom need to be data driven. So there will be a question in regards to how you're gonna use data to differentiate or how you're gonna use data to, um, to really drive your instruction because the data should drive everything that you do. Okay, if you don't remember anything else about data, that's what you need to know. One thing to note is that when we start talking about assessments and data, a lot of uh, new teachers assume that they're just the test that you take at the end of a unit or after you've learned the concept, you take a quiz. Not at all. Uh, we collect data as educators throughout, throughout the lesson, throughout the lesson, each day, every week. And then yes, we have those formal assessments like the quizzes and the tests, uh, but you should be collecting student data from the very beginning of that class period or class day um, to it even concludes. So earlier we talked about a lesson flow and you say maybe you do a uh, previewing activity um, that helps students can help students uh, preview what is coming up in the lesson for that day. Um, just by reviewing the responses uh, of the students, whether it was through student accountable talk, where they had to write a response and then share, you listened and you read those responses as you circulated around the room, um, that's a data point, okay? The student discussions, data points. The written responses, data points, okay? The conversations that you're having with the students in small groups, data points. Your exit ticket, and if you don't know what an exit ticket is, that means it's a small assignment that students are asked to complete at the end of the class, okay? They complete it, they give it to you in order to exit the room. Then you take those particular exit tickets and you sort them to see which students uh, accomplished the mission or met the target, which students um, did not, and which students who were, which students were almost there at target so that you know how to differentiate your lessons the next day. That moves me to the next thing that you need to be ready to answer. Um, and you need to be ready to talk about how you're gonna differentiate your instruction and how are you gonna, and by, and by that it, I mean, um, how are you gonna help students who are performing at different levels? The classrooms are not cookie cutter. They never have been, they never will be. Don't expect it. Um, in every meeting that you're in or even in the classrooms, the classes that you just finished, uh, it should be very clear that everyone receives and processes information uh, differently. And oftentimes at different paces and sometimes at very different paces. And that's okay. We all learn uh, specific to, to us. So in the classroom, we do very much expect teachers to be aware of this and to not think that you can plan one lesson and expect for all of your students in the room to get it at the same time. We expect for you to think about what you're going to do if Johnny just doesn't seem to understand the concept, 
Susie understood it before she walked in the room. And Bobby probably just needs one guiding question from you before he'll be there. What will you do? How will you differentiate? How will you help the students who are underperforming, performing at target, and those who are performing above target? Um, earlier, I talked about small group, okay? So when it comes down to releasing students to do independent work, you can have formal or informal small groups where you're able to differentiate. What that means is that you take the data that you collect and you group students. It could be done, and this is something that you can tell students or not tell students, even though they often find out <laughs> whether or not you verbalize it. Um, but what you would do is you would group students based off of the data. Um, it could be through seating arrangement where they're, they're all seated in a particular area. Um, maybe you grouped, group the students so that they're, they're mixed ability groups. Um, but regardless, you've taken some thought and care into your seating arrangement and the groups that kids are going to be in uh, when they move into independent practice or even small group with you. When you do those things, you have the ability to differentiate what you're doing. Um, the conversation of differentiating instruction is a totally different one, but in those different groups, um, you can differentiate by content, by process or product. So maybe the process will look different um, with your group A when they're working with you in the small group. But then when they transition to independent group, they have the same um, product that they have to complete as all the other students. However, you taught them a different way to get there. Um, so you just have to be prepared to talk about how you're going to serve um, students at different levels because they are there. And then in addition to that, what are you going to do for the students who already mastered the target before they walked in? Okay, what, how will you differentiate? Will you differentiate their product? Meaning their outcome is going to look, look a lot different um, versus just giving them extra work because they already knew it. Extra work does not equate to extra learning. It could just simply be extra work. So you have to think about and be ready to respond to how are you gonna differentiate um, for students based off of um, the different levels. There will be questions about relationship building um, because that does play um, into, that does play into uh, really how you're able to influence children. Um, if you don't have a relationship with the students, it's very difficult for you to uh, reach them. A lot of children do not like learning from people that they just simply don't like or people they feel don't care about them. Um, in my book, Connecting with Students, there are several um, activities that you can try. Uh, and this is not to say that you don't know how to be a people person, but sometimes connecting with students is uh, difficult for some individuals, but in my book, Connecting with Students, there, there are many, there are many options for how you can do that from the very first day of school. Um, so there, I believe you can probably preview it on different outlets. Just Google it, Connecting with Students, Crystal Higgs, and you will be able to uh, go ahead and get a couple ideas on how you do that. Um, typically in an interview, we ask that question, how are you going to build relationships with students okay, and their families? And uh, because we all know that if you have no relationship um, with students, very little learning occurs. So you're going to want to be prepared to answer that as well. 
the last thing that you need to be prepared to answer, um, which should be and possibly will be a great uh, bulk of the interview would be, how do you prepare standards-based lessons? New teachers sometimes don't understand the importance of planning and lesson planning not only leads to effective instruction, but it lessens the opportunities students have to misbehave in your classroom. If you don't have a lesson plan, students will plan for you. And trust me, it will not be the plans that you had in mind. So the number one thing that we are most interested in is how you're going to deliver your instruction. And if you don't know what standards-based instruction is, standards-based instruction is referring to the learning standards released by your state that students are supposed to learn in your content area. If you don't know what those are, I would recommend starting to look at them in your particular content area so that you'll be able to speak to them. And if you're asked to give a example lesson of how you would teach something, you would be able to start with the standard and how you will address that particular standard through instruction and instructional strategies. If you spend the time looking up standards for your content area from your state, they give ideas and suggestions as to what instruction would look like. They give you the limitations of that particular standard. They give you what students um, should already know and where that particular standard falls in the progression of learning for students. They'll give you, they'll give you sample lesson plans and those sample lesson plans can really give you a greater understanding and picture of what it looks like to teach, to teach a particular concept in the classroom. It's something that you may have done during your internship, but you may have had help planning it for the most part or your supervising teacher did a lot of those things. So you're going to want to make sure that you spend some time becoming intimate with those standards because we don't teach books. We don't teach movies. Okay. We don't even really teach concepts. What we teach are standards the academic standards tied to that particular content area. So we start with the standard and you need to be able to speak to your understanding that we teach the learning standards for the content area. Get familiar with them because not only is it beneficial to know them in an interview, you're going to need them when you're in the classroom because our learning targets and our purpose for every lesson goes right back to the standards for your content area. If we have an interview and you give us all this nice, fluffy, uh, sprinkly stuff about building relationships, having this awesome classroom management plan, but yet you don't realize that you should teach the content standards that students need to know, then there's no, there's no way that we're going to offer you a job because we need someone in there who is going to uh, help students achieve. Student achievement is always our number one priority. This particular podcast with this last bit of advice. Please, please, please do research on the school that you're going to be interviewing at. 
Uh, even if it is a teacher job fair, you typically pre-register. You know which schools you're interested in because it's typically some some school that is close to your um, close to your neighborhood. Maybe it's a short drive. Uh, maybe it's a title one school or a non-title one school. It's a school that got your attention for some reason. Uh, so what I recommend is just spending a little time researching, uh, the school itself, because we want to know why you want to be, um, employed at our school and how are you going to serve our students, their families and the community. And if you know nothing about our students, uh, that gives us very little reason to think that you will connect with them well. And if you can't make connections with the students, the families, or the community, it's going to be very difficult for share to share all of that knowledge that you have. So you're going to want to research the school. We're quite impressed when teachers walk in and they understand the state of our school. Now, nowadays, you can find information uh, from the district website, the school's website. They sometimes have school report cards where you can get an overview. You can even go to the state to find out how this, the school is performing in your particular content area. But we want to know that you've taken a time and you have selected us because we want to select you specifically. And we hope that you, um, it's a mutualistic relationship. Okay. So if I know it sounds a little cliche, but you need to know, you need to know about the school. When we ask that last question of, do you have any questions for us? We're not expecting for you to ask about um, our school demographics, um, uh, how we're doing in relation to uh, the data, because all of those things, we hope that you've researched and that you've looked into. Can you ask questions that tie back to um, those, those areas? Sure. But you don't want to give us the indication that you took no time at all to even research who we are, um, what our mission is, and how we go about um, serving the students, the families, and the community. Last thing that I'll say to you today, when you walk into that interview, just understand that you are not expected to be an expert. We understand that we're not interviewing a veteran. You are expected to be a new teacher but you are expected to be a new teacher who is prepared for the interview and who's taken the time to research how you can be of service to our students, our families, and the community. Thank you for spending time with me today here on Classroom Chats with Crystal.